What is up, everyone? This is Jerry Smith, friend of Cast of Cthulhu. Jim and James couldn't make it today, so they asked me to fill in, and I am definitely happy to do so. Today we have returning guest and co-director of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Gwen Callahan. Gwen, how are you doing today? I'm great. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the Cast of Cthulhu. Definitely. And uh, the festival, let me get the uh, information correct. The festival is running in Portland, Oregon, October 7th through the 9th at the Hollywood Theater, correct? Yep, that is right. Awesome. Uh, Really briefly, I mean, I know you've been on the show prior, so I I don't want to like have you have to go over the same exact stuff, but can you briefly give us a very brief kind of like history of your involvement? I know the, the festival started in 1995 before you came on board, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, actually in this year, I should mention that um, it's October 7th to the 9th in person at the Hollywood Theater. And then it is also streaming on our event of portal from the 7th. Things will go live from the 7th to the 9th. And then you'll have until the 11th to complete your watching of those films. Um, not every single thing that we're showing in the theater will be streaming, but there's um Gosh, like 11 hours worth of stuff to watch, which is plenty. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's really awesome that you're doing this because there's so many festivals that unfortunately are doing a complete return to the physical setting. And while that's great for a lot of people, some people just aren't able to make it to the theaters yet because of the pandemic and health issues and stuff. So I think the virtual option is really accommodating to so many people. Yeah, I think for us, it was informative when we decided to go online. I mean, we were, we were one of the first horror film festivals with Portland Horror Film Festival to go completely online. Um, Chatfest, I think, was probably first. And after watching that, we're like, oh, man, this is a lot of work. And it's worth it for some people because there there have been people that have been interested in our festival, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, but just because of mobility reasons or health reasons um, couldn't ever make it to the theater. Um, people with um, hearing or vision impairments that, you know, just being in the theater wasn't really conducive for them. And then just the people who couldn't get on a plane and just come hang out in Portland for the whole weekend. Um, You know, we're doing it for them as well, but I understand why there's a lot of film festivals that are just returning to the in-person event because it honestly is, is like running two events. Like they are just complete separate entities. Um, There's like almost, except for the films that we're showing, there's almost no behind the scenes, like structural overlap in what we have to do. Mm -hmm. So it's basically we're running an in-person event and we're running a streaming event and it's really hard. So we're trying to, trying to preserve some of the streaming and we probably always will have a streaming component, but it may fluctuate (laughs) between Mm -hmm you know, years, because as we do make a return to the theaters, there are films that are like, no, you can't stream our films, sorry. And like, we're at the mercy of like, what they're, what the filmmakers allow us to do. So mm-hmm. there's a few of our features this year that are about to go into sales or they're being distributed, about to go into distribution that um, we were not able to stream, unfortunately. But again, I like our, our fan base, I think, is really interested in the short films because it's 
I don't know, you get a lot more creativity. You get a lot of um, bang for the buck with a short film. So mm-hmm. it's, a lot of those are online. We have like 50, over 50 films streaming. And oh, wow. We have, over, we have over 60 films in the theater. So mm-hmm. it's pretty close. I mean, if you go to the theater, you can't see, you can't physically see everything because we have programming on all three screens and there's only 10 screenings basically a day 10 screenings a day on three screens so you can see probably three quarters of what we're offering because things repeat Mm -hmm. but there's some times where you have to choose between like am I going to see this last source block or am I going to see this independent feature and it's really hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. the nice thing about things streaming is though is that you can look at the streaming schedule and you can look at the theater schedule and be like okay if I have to choose between these two things will I be able to watch it streaming and most of the time you can so yeah it it becomes a, a Sophie's choice of sorts I used to go to Fantastic Fest every year and it would be like so nerve wracking to have to decide do I want to see this film or this film but mm-hmm. yeah now going back uh the festival uh like i said oh, yeah. it start it started in 95 oh at what year did you and brian your husband take it over yeah so we took it over in 2011 um so from 1995 to 2010 andrew migliori who is the founder and original director of the festival ran it by himself with um volunteers um some years more than others um and it was it's a lot like he had a full-time job and it was just getting to be a massive undertaking. Um, and we started vending at the festival because we have a, we make our own t-shirts and we sell stuff online through arkhambazaar.com. And we had been vending and he kind of was like, Hey, do you guys want to help me run this festival? At the time we lived in new Orleans and we were like, well, we will help how we can, but like, you know, we're in a different city from you. And he's like, you guys should move here. And so when we did decide to move to Portland is when he decided that he had couldn't really continue to 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 take on the the extra responsibility of running a festival. He had a family and a teenage kid, and they needed his attention. So he was like, "Okay, I'm stepping down." And he kind of looked over at us and was like, "You guys uh, ready to take it over?" <laughs> <laughs> and it took us a few months. It took us a few months to be like okay, I think we can do this. Cause we were, you know, we had never run a film festival. We are film fans. Both of us were literature majors. So we kind of get the whole, um, we get the whole thing, but it's like going to a film festival and appreciating films is a far different animal than actually running the festival. So Mm -hmm. um, we went from being an inmate to being the um, warden. (laughs) (laughs) Over over the past 11 years, how has the festival changed into what it is now? Was it, were there a lot of growing pains or? For us, I, I don't know if the audience really noticed that much in terms of what was going on behind the scenes with us. But, mm-hmm. you know, we tried to keep, we tried, we, so first and foremost, the festival created a community of Lovecraft fans and Lovecraft creators. And we really tried very hard to preserve that feeling like preserve that as a space that's open and welcoming to all creators and all fans because it's kind of a niche thing you know there's not like 10 of these festivals there's like us basically Mm -hmm. (laughs) the lovecraft film festival the we call ourselves the only festival that understands (laughs) (laughs) for a reason (laughs) but we 
sort of added, we expanded into a secondary venue so that we could have more um, literary programming panels and author readings and games and more vendors and things like that because there was, you know, the festival had been around for 15 years and people were noticing it and like wanted to be part of it. And when you have just the theater, there's very limited space because what we have is the lobby for vending. And we're blessed to have a theater that has like a nice big, fairly big upstairs upstairs lobby and three screens. So we four wallet it. We take over the whole theater for the weekend. And previous to that, some of the panels and readings have been in the upstairs theaters in the afternoons to give people a little bit of a break from all the films. But um, we were like, we're getting more and more really good film submissions. Let's take the theater back for film showing and have a secondary venue for the literary programming. <clears throat> so from um, 2012 or maybe 2013 up until 2019, we had a secondary venue and we had sort of a robust panel discussion lineup, live presentations. Um, Bill Stout came one year as our guest of honor and did a really cool slideshow on his trip to the Antarctic. He got his like ice diving certification and got to go um, dive under the ice and stuff. And this was back in a wow. time when they had hired him to go be the artist, to do artist renderings of everything there because, um, because of the cold, I think there's some chemical process that happens that where like photographs don't come out the right color. Um, I could be remembering that wrong, but there's some reason why cameras don't take pictures that are faithful to like what you're seeing with your eyes, like in the, in the Arctic. And I would have to look that up. Somebody look it up and correct me, but, but they had him go. And so he was doing a lot of live painting and sketching and stuff like that. And he got to go dive under the ice and he did this amazing presentation. So we've had things like that and live performances by like Robert Lloyd Perry doing his one man show and it's very, very cool stuff. And then, you know, we had some really great premieres and then the pandemic happened and it just kind of knocked everything down like four pegs in terms of what we were able to accomplish with the venues. So the secondary venue is no longer renting to outside parties. And um, this year, so last year we had a hybrid event as well. And we did a lot of films, but only on one screen, no secondary venue. And we did some panels and readings online but we did the hybrid, like the online show the weekend after, which was, um, it's a lot. It was a lot of work. <laughs> Again, it's mm -hmm. running two, two events. So this year we're doing them at the same time. Um, people can chat with each other on our Discord server. And I, I apologize, I don't have the link to that. But if you go on Facebook to the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, event there's a post in there with the discord invite that you can jump on and talk to other audience members and filmmakers and get updates um but, but we, yeah we're doing both at the same time but we actually got a room at our local library branch they have a very nice meeting room and we are going to be doing all of our author readings from 10 a.m to 1 p.m um, while we are there and that will be author readings and then in the afternoons on Saturday and Sunday we have some panel discussions and some live events. Andrew Lehman is coming and he's going to be doing a dramatic reading of The Hound. We have Tim Uren coming and he's going to do his one-man show Rats in the Walls. 
Um, let's see, we've got Pikmin's Apprentice is back. That's a live art competition where Dave Correa, Nick Gucker, and Lee Rainey Smith are going to be duking it out over who can make the best piece of art based on audience suggestions for a location <laughs> in a monster. And they have 90 minutes to do it. And then we um, silent auction the pieces and donate to a charity. And whoever basically raises the most um, wins. So that'll be back. And then we have, um, oh my gosh, I might be getting ahead of myself. I'm already telling you the whole schedule. But, no, no, no worries. Uh, no worries. I mean, talk about what you want. I, I you know, as a longtime fan, uh, any time that I see a screening of Reanimator or any films in that or Jeffrey Combs appearing somewhere, it like warms my heart because in, in so many ways, it's a tribute to the late Stuart Gordon, who was such a huge love lover of all things Lovecraft. So, I mean, seeing that on the dock, it was really huge for me to see, too. I was really excited about that. Yeah, um, <laughs> me, too. I'm glad that you I'm glad that you mentioned that um, Stuart was a big fan of fan and friend to the festival we had him out a few times um and the, like the year we got to show him the the basically what amounts to the director's cut of the of from beyond on the big screen was just like really touching he had not had a chance to see it all put back together on a big screen and the, and at our festival was the first time he was able to watch it like that and it was just an incredible experience um he it was such a mentor and booster and friend to all kinds of creative people. Um, he always had a minute to talk to you <clears throat> and he was always really supportive of anyone wanting to do something in film or with Lovecraft. Um, we miss him a lot. Definitely, definitely yeah. like legend right there. Plus he's an alumni of Empire and Full Moon and yeah. I, I'm I'm currently uh, working on the new Puppet Masters, the composer. So like it's it's really oh. cool to it's really cool to, you know, hear anything with Stuart, especially since like Full Moon did the new uh, Resonator series based on Stuart's work and from beyond. So like the memory still going and and just Lovecraft in general. And that, that made me want to ask you over the years of doing the festival and in general, have you noticed a shift in Lovecraft horror or Lovecraftian horror? Like, I mean, back in the Corman days, it was lesser known. And even today we're seeing films that might not explicitly reference Lovecraft, but even in films like bigger budget ones like Underwater when Cthulhu shows up or the more recently Glorious, which is a weird hybrid horror film with very Lovecraftian themes. Have you noticed a shift of maybe more people recognizing it and embracing it? I would say so. I think as like, I think a couple of things have happened since 1995 when the festival was founded chief among those is that um, consumer level camera equipment like consumer level video recording equipment has become really good so it removes that barrier of um, needing to know the technology for like a film camera or a 35 millimeter camera or having having that kind of camera or having like a sophisticated digital camera that can record at like a high you know 4k digital like you can walk into Best Buy and buy a camera that will record in 4K with like good mm -hmm. picture stabilization and just put it on a tripod. Um, so, so filmmaking has become much more accessible to anyone who really feels the need to put their story on film. Um, we've noticed this in our submissions for the festival that we're getting 
submissions from all over the world. We're pay- we're playing a short film from a filmmaker in Nigeria this year. Wow, amazing! And he's trying to attend the festival. I'm I'm got my fingers crossed that he can get a visa, but I'm not super. Unfortunately, I'm not super optimistic about our 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 visa office responding in time. But but there's that. Um, and then just the more the more you see it, the more you're aware of it, the more people are doing things. And so it kind of grows exponentially. And it, I feel like in the past, oh, three or four years, it's kind of hit this uh, critical mass of becoming in the collective unconscious that, that this is out there. So I see many more reviews talking about films as having Lovecraftian horrors in them. I've seen like, you know, the words Lovecraftian horror, Lovecraftian cosmic horror, mm-hmm. weird and, um, you know, strange tales and things like that are becoming more prevalent, I think, in reviews as more people are discovering the genre and then adding them into their, the things that they're doing. And it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because much like horror, you can kind of marry it with whatever. You know, you have like comedy horror and dramatic horror and sci-fi horror, mystery horror, (laughs) and like the cosmic horror kind of goes with that. You can put that over anything. It's kind of a layer that you can put on, on whatever. And like how well you do that depends on the filmmaker and their understanding of like what makes good cosmic horror. But yeah, I think that there's a big, a big shift towards it because it's something that hasn't been explored a lot and that... Mm -hmm. And now it's kind of opening up this extra, the extra room that you didn't know you had and everyone wants to explore it. (laughs) And it's so great because you see the influence in like just various filmmakers and, and, and writers, basically it runs the whole gamut. You know, you have people like Guillermo del Toro, like constantly championing Lovecraft and his love for monsters to more like intimate directors like Benson and Moorhead and making like spring which is like one of i in my opinion one of the most beautiful love stories around but with that influence and it's really awesome to see so many storytellers embracing lovecraftian kind of themes and ideas in various different kind of approaches yeah totally um and and yeah underwater i was not expecting the giant Cthulhu of the deep ones at the end. <laughs> um, so yeah, it keeps cropping up in these really surprising places. And actually you mentioned Benson and Moorhead and we are showing the Pacific Northwest premiere of Something in the Dirt, which is um, their new film, which has been hardly talked about, but- um, It's wild, right? Yeah, it is yeah wild. I, I got to, and I got it to is see a that little, one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different, but like if people, people who remember Resolution and The Endless, um, will absolutely get this movie and it's this movie is for them it's kind of their it's their pandemic movie they've shot it in a way that like they were able to have kind of a small crew and keep everyone safe during the pandemic and they finally finished editing it and working on it um but it's like and for me it cements their titles as like cosmic master masters of cosmic horror mm-hmm. um, it just there's something that runs through their storytelling and their writing and their visual imagery that um just anyone who's into cosmic horrors latches onto it you, it speaks to us in a way i think that only we can understand 
Well, and you can tell that both of those guys have such adoration towards, you know, Lovecraft and just cosmic storytelling in, in general, that it just speaks so much in their work. Uh, other than Something in the Dirt, are there any films in particular that you're very excited for people to see that are playing at the festival? Um, yeah, so we've got that one. We've got, um, we have a Spanish feature called Stoyan um, that is really uh, it's very hard to explain like someone was like what is it about and like I can tell you what's it about but it brings in like Buddhist mythology along with like this deep history of um like a cult in ancient Roman times all the way up to the present day with a mother a single mother and her son goes missing but then there's also this detective story of a police inspector that is working a murder case that somehow entwines with the missing child case, but then there's also mm-hmm. obvious supernatural elements to it. And um, it's kind of crazy. It sounds like a mess, but it all works together. <laughs> like really, It makes a really interesting and beautiful film. Like there's a lot of imagery to pay attention to. There's a lot of, I think if you know, things about buddhism and world religions you'll catch more but for somebody who doesn't know anything about all that stuff it has this pervasive atmosphere of dread that's just wonderful and um and the ending is pretty satisfying a lot of times endings are very hard to wrap up in a in a way that's preserves the cosmic horror but doesn't just leave you utterly um suicidal because <laughs> that can happen <laughs> So that one is one to watch out for. And then we've got um, two sort of shorter feature films. One is called uh, Whistle and I'll Come to You by a Italian filmmaker called Valentina Batorti. And she adapted the M.R. James story, Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, and made this beautiful period drama that um, it gets real creepy at the end. Like it's about this archaeology professor that goes to a seaside um, hotel and finds an artifact and um, then shenanigans, hijinks ensue. (laughs) But if you're familiar with the story, it follows the story very closely. Um, And it's, yeah, it's very, very, very creepy. It's kind of a haunting, kind of a ghost haunting story, classic M.R. James. And then we have another feature called Agatha, which is um, it's sort of it's experimental in that the way it was filmed and presented is not mm, traditional. It is kind of like half rotoscoped, half animated. Mm-hmm. So you're you're looking at actors like there's actors performing everything, but the visual there's like drawing done over everything, um, and in some places you can't really tell like did they actually film that set or is that hellscape just the art (laughs) um but this guy Roland Becerra made it took him 10 years to finish this film and it's really really interesting it deals with issues of like guilt and the occult and um the hidden histories of places um I think very on the surface, it's about a man who um, basically blackmails a woman into um, using her magic capabilities to heal him. He's got some kind of undisclosed illness and wants her to to fix him. 
and then you know he gets more than he bargained for so <laughs> but I, I use that line jokingly because that's like a when filmmakers don't know how to describe their films they their go-to is all is not as it seems and they got they get more than they bargained for <laughs> and in, in this case it is true <laughs> I, that or uh, the Q&A questions that usually drive most people nuts these days. You know, what is the budget? What did you film it on? And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's always fun <laughs> to hear. Uh, you know, you, you spoke on a few of the events. Uh, are there any surprises that you kind of have up your sleeve for attendees this year that maybe is unique to this year? Mm, I don't know. Not really. Like we have... Um... So we've got our, we've got like six blocks of short films to show. And we have, of course, the double feature of Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator on both on 35 millimeter. Oh, wow. And that's Bride of Reanimator is not something you see on 35 millimeter very often because Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a big hit. Like Reanimator, there's prints out there, but Bride is a little harder to find. And so we're, we're just excited to have Jeffrey Cummings back. He's a sweetheart. We love him. Um, He's such a great performer and such a great actor. He really is the quintessential Herbert West. And I mm-hmm. firmly, I will stand by this, that every Herbert West performance after him, like there's no way that you're not influ- influenced by his performance. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're lying if you say you've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm yeah. excited for that. Um, we are also showing the um, the extended or integral cut of reanimator where they took the r-rated cut and the unrated cut and married them together so you get all the scenes in it so it's kind of a super cut of reanimator so we're gonna be talking about that how did both of those come about was that through combs or was that something that that you that you the fest kind of initiated trying to to screen those i mean like you said you don't hear of a 35 millimeter print of Bride of Reanimator very often. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that, you know, or the (laughs) integral cut of Reanimator. Those are big deals to attendees. Yeah, well, I think the integral cut came out on, somebody put it out, like you can get it on home media, but you don't often see it on a big screen, which is why we're showing it on a big screen with Jeffrey Combs. So when we asked Jeffrey Combs to be our guest of honor and he accepted this when we kind of were like, okay, we're going to show reanimator because we haven't shown it in a while. And it like, we all need some comfort food. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to show bride because like whoever, who does when's the last time you saw a double feature of those two films. Mm-hmm. And like, I love Kathleen Kinmont and bride of reanimator. It's such a, you know, it's such a bride of Frankenstein reanimator. Mashup. Oh, it's one- yeah. It's so wonderful. Wonder. Wonderful um and just like the makeup and her her performance is so poignant and um we happen to know the director of that film and he had a print that he loaned us so that's how that happened um so we know brian he's now he's a friend also a friend of the festival um and has been a guest before so i reached out to him and and said you know we're having trouble finding a print of this do you happen to know anyone who might have a print and he said i have a print <laughs> I said, can I can I rent it from you? And he's like, sure. <laughs> so um, you know, with the insurance, like our film, our film festival is really lucky in that we work with the Hollywood Theater, which is an historic theater, and they are very interested in the preservation of historic films and 
presenting that to a modern day audience. And as such, they have kept up their projection equipment so they can show 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter, 70 millimeter, as well as DCP. Mm-hmm. And so we get to watch um, Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator on reel to reel on 35 millimeter. <laughs> so they don't do, they don't generally platter everything. They'll do it reel to reel. And then we also have on Sunday night, Night of the Comet on a 35 millimeter. So we have three films on 35 millimeter. I'm excited about that. And pe- people ask me, what's the difference between the digital and 35 and it's, it's all about texture and color and like the possible danger of the film getting sucked into the projector and burning. (laughs) I feel like that element, that little added element of danger helps your experience of watching it. Most definitely. You know, you you mentioned a filmmaker from Nigeria having a film out there, but as far as attendees, I mean, you have attendees all across the world that show up every year, right? Yeah, um, we've had, I like, I honestly don't know about this year just because like travel has opened up, mm-hmm. uh, but the airfare has been expensive because of gas and all that stuff. But we've, in the past, we've had attendees from Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Taiwan, um, Italy, Switzerland, UK, France, um, like pretty much everywhere in Europe, Sweden, um, where else? I mean, Canada, (laughs) but yeah, and Mexico, South America, we've had filmmakers and attendees from all over the world. And um, it's really interesting because we get a lot of really great submissions from like Italy and South America and Mexico. Um, They're all into Lovecraft in other countries in a way that most Americans are not really. Mm -hmm. Um, When Brian was in college, like he, he remembers seeing like um, in, in train stations, the little paperback book racks, like you could buy a little Lovecraft novel in the train mm-hmm. station bookstore. But but here you've got to like comb the secondhand stores and mm-hmm. check out Powell's while you're here. <laughs> well, I won't take up too much of your time. I just had a couple more questions. Uh, first and foremost, as far as technical stuff, uh, can people still buy tickets whether physically or online for the festival to attend yeah so you can buy tickets all the way up for in the theater you can buy tickets in advance or all the way up to um, I think they shut off the online tickets an hour or two before the show starts but you can absolutely buy them at the door I am not expecting us to be sold out so if suddenly on Friday night or Saturday or Sunday you're like I'm in Portland and um, the thing I had to do that's way less important than the festival isn't happening. So I can suddenly go to the festival now, just come to the door. You can buy a ticket for eventive. Um, you can buy tickets, I think all the way through the 11th. Um, the trick with eventive is that once you start watching something, so on Friday, the 7th at 7 PM, the first blocks will go live and then they'll go live on a rolling basis after that. So if you just watch everything as it goes live, you'll see everything by Sunday at like 11. If you are coming in later, you can pick and choose what you want to watch as long as it's already started. So if you're coming in on Sunday, all of Friday and Saturday is already available to watch. 
Um, and then you'll have through the end of Tuesday, the 11th to watch it. Um, but once you hit play on a program, you'll have 48 hours to finish watching it. <clears throat> so if someone were to buy a ticket for something and press play on all of the blocks at 11.50 p.m., you still have 48 hours to finish watching everything. I'll close this out with this. Uh, you know, speaking as both you're the programmer of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival and also as a fan of Lovecraft's work and using that, that term again, Lovecraftian horror, uh, where where do you hope to see not only the festival, but work from various people over the years as a fan? Where, like, where do you hope to see it go? Um, I mean, wherever it has to. I don't think I have an agenda for, mm -hmm. like, I want cosmic horror to be, like, the number one genre in the world because mm -hmm. it's, it is sort of a, like, either you get it or it's an acquired taste. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just, there's a reason why it's not just mass market all of a sudden, you know, it was never mass market right out of the gate because it takes a little bit of thought and, and a little bit of um, empathy to connect to cosmic horror, I think. And it is a lot of times the stories in the subtleties and in the atmosphere, which, you know, isn't, that's not what everyone wants to watch all the time. Um, even mm -hmm. I need to watch the mindless schlock every now and then just to cleanse mm -hmm. the palate, I guess. Um, for me, I just want there to be opportunities for more opportunities for filmmakers and artists and writers that are writing in the genre to have their work fed to a larger population. Mm -hmm. So the stigma attached to horror is slowly coming away. I think it's not completely accepted mainstream fare yet, but it's become so much more accepted um, when when you hear terms like prestige horror tells you something about how people regard regular horror <laughs> but I think the the films that are working in the in that genre are pushing the envelopes all the time are kind of opening up a wider space for the more the more niche sub horror sub genres of horror to to have a little bit more room to showcase themselves and so that's for me like just being able to see the number of submissions that we get all the time and then seeing the number of submissions that are also getting played at um, like wider genre festivals, including cosmic horror and Lovecraftian adaptations and things like that is really exciting to see. And I don't, I guess for me, I just want filmmakers to be able to tell the story the way they want to tell it and have mm -hmm. an audience for it. And so, you know, we're here, we're providing a platform for them, but it's exciting to see that there's other festivals and um you know literary avenues like there's more and more um weird fiction podcasts and um more and more space on the shelves i think for those people who are writing in like a little a little bit of a weirder space and i i hope that just continues most definitely uh well listeners uh if you're in the portland area or even if you're not book a trip and go to the portland area october 7th through the 9th to attend the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Gwen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm sure so many other people are, so we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, I mean, I can talk about 
the festival all day long. I'm sure there's things I forgot to tell you, but if people want to know all the details, they can go to our website, which is um, hplff.com slash pdx, 